with me, if you will. The first thing I'd like to talk about is simply the appointed day. Now, we have touched on this during the course of the last year. Some of this will be new, but you'll hopefully tie into it. Yeah, we've heard this before. You will recall that we noted intentionally because it was impressed upon me that you have to tie the Passover into everything that's happening. So, we noted a, a year ago that the Passover, it was birthed 1,400 years before Christ was on the scene. And every year they re remembered the Passover. On the, on the 10th day of the first month, they'd set a lamb aside, and then on the 14th day, they would kill that lamb. And when the children would ask, what's the meaning of this thing that we do? They would say, this is the Lord's Passover because on the night He delivered us from Egypt, the Lord passed over those houses that what had the blood on the doorpost. There was an explanation for it. And then we get into the New Testament and Paul writes that Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So we come to understand that that blood on the doorpost, which the death angel passed over, did not bring judgment into the house, but passed over when, when he saw the blood that that's exactly what Christ has done for us. When He shed His blood upon the cross, when that blood is applied to us by faith, then God passes over judgment on us for our sin. And we too are free. That's why we have a reason to enjoy our relationship with the Lord and have a little bit of fun sometimes. So for 1,400 years, it looked forward to the coming of Christ. And we called it, if you will remember, we called it a primorial to us as Christians. Then, on the night before he was to become the Passover, you know, he met in the upper room with his disciples. And there, they shared that Passover, which he said, I am anxious to share this with you. But he took some of the elements and he invested new meaning in them. And the very elements that they would have traditionally had that for 1,400 years were being used, those very elements, he took the bread. He said, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And those same elements that were always in the Passover now took on new meaning. And he said, as often as you do this, do it in memory of me. So now we've been given a different memorial than the, than the nation of Israel were given. We were given the memorial of the Lord's table, the bread and the cup. And for 2,000 years, since that night, 2,000 years, we have shared the bread and the cup as God's people. And it looks back to that cross. So, the Passover looked forward to the cross, and the, the bread and the cup looked back to the cross. You notice they're both looking to the cross. One before the time, one after. But I want to give you one other thing, because you've heard all of that before. So for those of you just sitting here saying, we've heard all this before, what's the big deal? I want to give you one other thing. I want to go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 is one of perhaps one of the most... Uh, off-studied and most well-known passages in Scripture for prophecy. Now, let me simply give you the, the lead up to it, and then we'll read a few verses of it. In Daniel chapter 9, for 19 verses, Daniel is, is, describes how he was confessing before the Lord the sin of the nation. 
the 19 verses of confession that we did wrong in your eyes, O Lord. And that's why we are here in captivity. That's why 70 years we have had to uh, be carried off and now others have rule over us because we did wrong. And just as you had told Moses, you know, if you don't follow me, I will bring a curse upon you so that I can get your attention to follow me. So it's nearing the end of that 70 years and Daniel is praying, basically saying, Lord, can you forgive us now? Now, he's been there. He's been in captivity since he was a teenage boy. And now he's an old man. And he's praying, confessing. That's those 19 chapters. Then we find out in verse, uh, as we, as we uh, 19 chapters, I meant 19 verses. Then we find out as we pick it up in verse 20, that the angel, Gabriel, is sent to him and is going to interact with him about what he has been praying and he tells him, here's what God is going to do. Very famous passage right here. Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to jump in at verse 24. The, this is what the angel Gabriel, if you follow me, is saying to Daniel and revealing to him. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now that weeks is the idea of sevens. And Bible scholars understand it to mean weeks of years or sevens of years is what it comes down to. So he says, 70 sevens are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint, got that, to anoint the most holy. Now, you notice how he'd been confessing, 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 and Gabriel says, hey, here we are. Um, we, uh, here's how it's going to be dealt with. His transgression, sins, iniquity. Okay. Verse 25. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, or sevens. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. So he gives this seven-week period, followed by a 62-week period, as all part of a 70-week period. Verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, that's seven, 62, so at 69 weeks of the 70 weeks, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined, he says, at the end of the 69 weeks of years, Messiah will be put to death. That's what being cut off means. So the angel Gabriel has specifically prophesied about this day. I just want to put that there and, and help you Put that all together now. The Passover looked forward to the cross. The Lord's table looks back to the cross. And the prophet Daniel identifies the time of the cross. And that's why I'm saying, hey, if we're going to grasp what's going on here, we need to consider the appointed day, that one day in history. You know, spring, happy spring. Is today officially the day? Yesterday was. Okay, so yesterday was officially the day. Happy spring. Spring happens every year. And it come around again next year and it come around next year. We get that. 
But this was one day that we may remember the events, but it only happened once. And Hebrews makes that clear, that there was only one time that this death on our behalf in this way was to happen. It's all that was necessary. It's all that did happen. So that is the appointed day. Can you just hold on to the appointed day? Because I want to go on to the next topic as to why this matters. And that is going to be the anointed one. The anointed one. We began to look at this last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it. We took more time with it last week. John 17, you will recall, if you were with us last week, that Mary was at a meal at her house. Her brother, her sister were there. Others were there, and she broke a vial of ointment and poured it on Jesus' feet and on his head. And Judas Iscariot, who were told he was a thief, and some others joined in with him. Hey, why, why this costly oil used for this? Could have been sold to the sold and be used for the poor. And Jesus said, let her alone. Oh, here, I haven't even read it yet. Then Mary took a pound of very, very costly oil of spikenard, anointed, notice, anointed, because we're talking about the anointed one, the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. So we've described that. They complained. Here's his answer. Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Contemplate Mary in the context of this. Jesus also says, wherever this, this story is told, she's going to be remembered. You're trying to shut her down, she's going to be remembered. She's going to be honored for this. And every gospel writer includes it in their gospel. There aren't a whole lot of things that every gospel writer includes. And this is it. I, I, I gained a much greater appreciation for Mary to contemplate this. She got it. She understood. Hey guys, he's telling us something. He has been telling us something. And the day is merely days away from us. He's been telling us he is going to die. And you guys are arguing over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom and, and who gets to sit where. And he's trying to tell us he's going to die. And Mary got it. And because of that anointment that cost a year's worth of wages, was not too costly. There was no cost that was too great to her to be able to anoint him, prepare him, acknowledge what he was going to do. What, a, what an unbelievable moment that was there that she got it. Now what I'd like to do is take jump from there and I'm going to go to Acts 4.27. And in Acts 4.27, or uh, Prior to that, again, we've got to give you a little bit of a run-up. By now, the disciples have gone out there preaching the resurrected Christ. Well, you know, that the religious leaders, that didn't help them at all. Remember, they got rid of Christ. They were plotting to get rid of Lazarus because there was crowds forming around this. And they needed to diminish that. They needed to shut that down. So they get rid of Christ. And next thing you know, there's crowds forming again, claiming that he is resurrected. Oh, so now their problems did not go away. And they begin to persecute those who are bringing the message of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that's where we pick it up. 
I want, I'm going to pick it up in verse 23. We do want to get to verse 27. And being let go, they went to their own companions, let go from the religious leaders, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, because they're, they're, they're feeling it now, the pressure is going to come on them. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, and then they quote Psalm 2. This was right in their prayer. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So finishing that quote, they pray this now. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Got that? Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Remember that appointed day? The anointed one, they're saying, was determined that on that appointed day, the anointed one would indeed die at the hands of Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and all of Israel. They're coming together, friends? I hope so. Let's, let's just, just make this statement. Jesus was the one determined to die on that day at the representative hands of all mankind. Did you hear me say that? The representative hands of all mankind. Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, and the Israelites. You see, friends, I have this thing inside of me that says, if I were there, I would have, I would have stood up for Jesus. You wouldn't have found me crying for his crucifixion, and it's, I just know it's not true. I'd have been in the crowd with the rest of those proud, arrogant, sinful people who said, this guy's getting to be a troublemaker. We need him out of here. We don't need this kind of trouble around here with the crowds that he's building. And I'd have, I'd have yelled for his death as well. All of mankind. Because they said Gentile and Israelite alike. And that entails, from a biblical perspective, all of mankind are represented in this at the representative hands of all mankind as the only satisfactory substitution for all our sin. That's the anointed one. This past week I was visiting with Mike Adamick and uh, he made reference as part of his schooling. If you were with us last Sunday night, you heard him speak about his schooling. I'm so excited for him with that schooling. But he made reference that in schooling, one of the professors uh, made the statement, you know, the Bible, and when you're looking at the Old Testament, isn't all just about judgment. It's that this Ultimately, it comes to redemption. You know, there's a, there's a saving part of this. You can't get caught up that, oh, this is all about judgment. So I said, Mike, just wait here. I had to run, get him the board from my Sunday school class, which if you have kids who have sat through my Sunday class, they know, they know, they can picture this, all right, on my board. At the top of this little board I got, it says redemption. The story of the Bible, one word is redemption. And then the study that I've taken you through a couple of times, Genesis 1 to 3, we see things lost at the fall. In Revelation 20 to 22, we see it all regained. Because that's the story of the Bible as a whole. Redemption. That God is restoring things. 
that were lost. And they're restored through the anointed one on that appointed day. And friends, if you, if you follow that story through, just start in Genesis, read Revelation, you'll find out there's only one conclusion to draw. It won't be hard to get. There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. That's it. That's the whole point of the Bible, is to show us that Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, and that death alone is the only thing where hope is offered to a broken world, to a world that would scream for his crucifixion in their own self-righteousness. And friends, when we grasp that reality, that there was the appointed day on which the anointed one would die for the sins of the world, it leads us to a very simple conclusion about what we're doing. Now is the appropriate time. Now is the appropriate time for exactly what we're going to do. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw from the book of Acts, go to the, to the book of Acts chapter 17. And in Acts chapter 17, we're at that point where Paul is being chased from town to town to town. He goes to this town, he preaches the resurrection, they don't like it, they run him out of this town, he goes to the next town. And he was under persecution all the time. So, here's what we read in verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. I'm left a little uncomfortable to get this personal about how we're here. But friends, I just got to say, before, before the, you've heard the story, but just to remind you, before, before the pandemic, before the lockdown, before we knew we had cameras coming, God was provoking something in my spirit. There was something he was stirring. And I just spoke with my sister uh, about a week ago and said, Judy, you remember when I was in your home in Rockford in January of 2020, we spoke about this? She said, yep, we did. We did. And one of the things that as things began to develop and once we saw where the world was at, it, it struck me. that And, and here's, who, here's where it brought it to light is when the secular artists were gathering together to put concerts forth around the world. The secular artists are going to save the world, right? Forget about it. But they were broadcasting from their own homes, and they're like, okay, we're hearing their message go out. The message of Jesus Christ must be made known in this marketplace. It must be. And so just like Paul in Athens, that's, that's what came to my mind. We have a legitimate place from which to to make him known. And so they brought him because he, because he was in a town where they liked, they liked to discuss things. And it says right here, I don't have time to read all of that. But they like to play with newfangled ideas. And it's like, well, this is something new. Let's hear what this crazy lunatic's got to say. So in verse 22, they've called him to come speak at a thing called the Areopagus, which is where they did all of their open discussions, if you will. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. 
For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, Him I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. God doesn't, that doesn't need anything from us. He is entirely uh, self-sufficient, self self-existent. He has made, notice verse 26, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So here's what I'd like to suggest, friends. A year ago, churches all over the place were going out into the internet to make sure we're having services for our people. Well, I'd like to suggest that the internet is like the Areopagus of Athens. It's the place where ideas are to be exchanged. That was one of the big dreams of it, although we've seen that people get hold of it politically, they go out and exchange all ideas, but that ideas can be exchanged. So I'd like to suggest we think of the internet, maybe we ought to think of it as the interiopagus. Got to think on that for a second. But the interiopagus rather than the internet, because it is a place where we push ideas out there for people to listen to, for them to consider. And it was impressed upon me, I believe God was provoking my spirit, we need to make the name of Christ known out there. We, we just can't let it be void of the name of Jesus Christ. His name needs to be in the marketplace, just like Paul was doing in Athens. Now, two thoughts relative to that. Not only should we do it, and we are, but we should expect God is going to spread much seed. I think about, I think about the farmer. When, when, when you guys are going to be out in your fields here in a little bit, and you, we're going to all watch the tractors go... Ever, does a farmer go out and, and goes, I want a big crop this year, and I'm praying for a big crop, and he puts one seed in the ground? So I am going to give you a big crop. You've got to cast a lot of seed. You've got, you got to spread a lot of seed and acres and acres of seed. Well, I believe God is, is wanting to bring a great harvest as we are at, this, at the, nearing the end of, of his redemptive work. And I think we need to expect that God is going to spread much seed out onto the ground. So I haven't seen it yet, but I would not be surprised if there are many places where people are doing exactly what we're trying to do with one body, one blood, because God is looking to plant much seed to, to harvest a great crop. And if they're not doing that, I expect we're going to see, and here's what I'm envisioning within the next, actually between now and Good Friday, I am expecting that we're going to see uh, a number of things, all of a sudden it's there in front of us, and the internet is revealing it to us, that, hey, you could be a part of this, or you could be a part of that. I expect that. And what I'm picturing is in, in, in what do you, you guys call it, I think, when you put in a crop, and then it's in a two-leaf stage, right? At the very beginning, there's just little two leaves that are there, and you can see this green on top of the soil. That's where we're at right now. I'm expecting all these little, these little tiny plants to be, to be cropping up around the world. To make Christ known. And we're just one of those little tiny plants. 
And I think he's going to come up with many other ways of making him know, not just in a shared uh, a sharing of the Lord's table, although I think it's absolutely legitimate that we do this. So that's number one, is that we need to be in the marketplace. The inter-interiopagus. Okay, I've still got to work on that one. And number two, the unifying aspect of his kingdom harvest is something this broken world needs now. I'll say that again. The unifying aspect of his kingdom harvest is something this broken world needs now. Do you have to look very far to see brokenness among men and between men? Do you have to look very far before you find divisions? Before you find these people who hate these people and these people who try and dominate these people? We don't have to go very far, friends. We have experienced it very significantly in our own nation, but it isn't just in our own nation. It is around the world. It is the problem of mankind. So here's where we have something to speak to that issue of the brokenness and the division between men and women. When the name one body, one blood was first put forth for, for what we're trying to do here, because so, we had to say, well, what are we going to call this? And I, I just like, well, it's okay. It doesn't do a lot for me until... The person who, to whom the Lord, and I believe the Lord did give it to him, gave the name. He said, and we haven't put it there yet, and one day I hope we do, but he said, it works real well on a cross. That you can have one body vertically, and one, or, or one body horizontally, and one blood uh, vertically. And you just put those there, and they both meet, and, and you can imagine the picture in yourself. And that got me thinking. Because there's always been this sense, there's a, there's a bit of a dual meaning to the name, and I'd like you to understand that. So there's first the vertical one body, one blood concept, and that is that our relationship with the Lord. There's one body, one blood that has been given on our behalf, and we know that, we get that, and it, what makes us right with the Father but I'd also like to think for us to envision with the arms of that cross, the cross beam of us getting connected this way to each other. There's a horizontal aspect. And in that horizontal aspect, that one body, one blood comes forth in this way. From Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, we read this. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to greaten himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. I started in verse 14. Thereby putting to death the enmity. He has united us who by faith receive his redemptive work. He has united us in one body with himself as the head. And there's other places to look at in Scripture for that. Okay. Additionally, coming back to Acts 17 with what we have already read, and he has made from one blood. Now our translation says one blood. Literally, the Greek just says from one. So you might see from one man, from one person, but it, the, the point is the same. I like the word uh, one blood. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwelling. We are all descendants of Adam. We came from one, one blood, one man, 
We are all descendants from Him. And we are all broken descendants from Him. And we have been united into one redeemed body. And so, our world is going to want to make all sorts of artificial divisions between us. But if we're going to be biblical, we, I want to remind you again that we understand we are all descendant from one man, one woman, which makes us, you know, secularly speaking, if you will, brothers with the whole world. It really does unite us. But we're all broken. And so from that, from the one blood of every nation, he pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. God has them distributed out around the world and people are in the, the, the you're alive now in this place because God has appointed that for you and wants you to be a part of this work that he's doing of drawing people together through the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ because that's the only place that happened. So here's the thought and then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, you can get ready, Jalen. He wanted to make sure I did not uh, just throw him something fast there, okay? When we gather from around the globe, we will gather as one body of Christ under his headship, united, there's oneness, in his glory, which he gives us, we studied that in John 17, as one people descended from Adam, as one people fallen in Adam, as one people redeemed and made alive in Christ, as one people with no barriers between us, as one people on display before the angels, and as one people with the only real hope for the world and its ills. That's the presence we're looking to have in the marketplace, in the interabagus. All right, so I had something on my mind for a good few weeks, and Jalen, are you able to make that work? Now, before, before you do, Jalen, I'm sorry, before you do, um, need to, you need to understand. And if you see a clip from, from the uh, movie uh, My Fair Lady, and there's a point in the movie where they're trying to get her to change her accent, and everything that she does is this cockney accent, and, and so she's been wrestling with the rain in Spain falls mainly in the plain, and she's like, the Rhine in spine falls mainly on the plain. And they're just just trying to drill this into her. And they're exhausted for her to get it right until this moment. So I want you to watch this particular moment. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. I can't! I'm so tired! I'm so God's sake, Higgins, it must be three o'clock in the morning. Do be reasonable. I am always reasonable. Eliza, if I can go on with a blistering headache, you can. I've got an headache too. Oh, here. I know your headaches. I know you're tired. I know your nerves are as raw as meat in a butcher's window. Think what you're trying to accomplish. Just think what you're dealing with. The majesty and grandeur of the English language is the greatest possession we have. 
The noblest thoughts that ever flowed through the hearts of men are contained in its extraordinary, imaginative and musical mixtures of sounds. And that's what you set yourself out to conquer, Eliza. And conquer it, you will. Try it again. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. What was that? The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. Again. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. I think she's got it. I think she's got it. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plains. By George, she's got it. By George, she's got it. That's good, Jalen. Now Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. Did a great job, didn't he? All right, Jalen. Yeah. So, for the for up until then, Eliza Doolittle is struggling to get this. What's the thing that changed it for her when she understood what she was trying to do? That made all the difference. Here's what you're trying to do. He said to her, think what you're trying to accomplish. Think what you're dealing with. My friends, I'm ending on that note. Because I'm asking us to think, what are we trying to accomplish here? What are we dealing with here? We're dealing with the message that's going to go around the world, that's going to unite us with brothers and sisters on many different continents in many different countries. And we're going to be able to make known that Jesus Christ is the only hope of mankind. When you think of that, when we think as what I've tried to lay out, that there was an appointed day for the anointed one to bear the sin of all mankind, that perhaps it really does matter that today, this season, God is calling upon us to make that magnificent truth known in the marketplace via the internet. There's going to be a lot of voices out on that internet. Many of them are voices of darkness. Christ needs to be made known. Father, thank you. Thank you for the magnificent truth we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that your word has revealed that there is only one place of hope out of our brokenness. Thank you, Father, that his redeeming work is complete, able to redeem us from every sin that we have committed. 
Oh, so Father, I, I pray that you impress upon us as we think through this waiting for this next week to start and, and just that you'll be preparing our hearts in, in a new and, uh, and a fresh way to enter into Holy Week starting next Sunday morning and to embrace each part of what it is we'll be celebrating as a church. So we yield ourselves to you to that end in Jesus' name. Amen.